The abortion industry continues to use this crisis to fight for the right to ship abortion pills directly to women, while Forbes and the New York Times carry water for the pro-abortion movement. Nancy Pelosi tries once again to smuggle funding to Planned Parenthood in a new small business stimulus package. And CBS's The Price is Right donates nearly $100,000 to America's largest abortion provider. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thanks for tuning in today. Hey, if you're a new listener to the show and you haven't given us a rating or review yet, please go ahead and do that. Head on over to iTunes Review, to Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen or watch, and let us know what you think. It really helps us reach more people, and we're slowly climbing up the ladders for the category that we're in in a political commentary, and that would really help us reach more people on an issue that so many people like to keep off of their radar, and we want to put it on their radar at such an important time in American history. And we are approaching a very difficult time in our country's uh, current history and what is playing out with this shutdown, with this epidemic, as the lives of unborn children are increasingly put at risk through an abortion industry, and we've covered this in the show very recently, that is seeking to use this crisis to get what they've always wanted, primarily telemedicine abortions, being able to ship abortions to young women without an in-person evaluation that is put in place in order to guarantee the health of women uh, seeking an abortion. And so the motto of the left, the motto of the abortion industry, but I repeat myself, during this shutdown has become, don't let a good crisis go to waste. That's their motto. And the abortion industry is doing everything it can to utilize this crisis to obtain the most profitable business model for the abortion industry in the 21st century, and that would be telemedicine abortions. Now, what are telemedicine abortions? Well, telemedicine is the availability of healthcare services that you can access online. So that could be getting a prescription online. It could be having a FaceTime call with a physician or doctor to discuss things that you would typically have to discuss in person. It's streamlining the whole healthcare process um, digitally insofar as you can. So telemedicine abortions would be the ability for a woman to have a FaceTime call or remote video call with an abortionist somewhere in her state who would then prescribe her the abortion pill without an in-person evaluation and without an in-person prescription where they give the woman the pill, which is currently required by the FDA. And there are a lot of benefits to the abortion industry in moving in this direction, and we'll get to that in just one second. But broadly speaking, that's what telemedicine abortions are. So you're no longer needing to go to the abortion clinic to get the abortion pill or even have an evaluation with an abortionist beforehand. Currently, with the exception of one FDA-approved trial by a group called Genuity Health Projects, which we discussed recently on the show, the FDA's uh, risk uh, uh, REMS requirement uh, requires that the abortion pill be prescribed in person and typically after an evaluation and ultrasound. So the abortion industry's hope is to be able to utilize this crisis to illustrate that such medical restrictions put in place by the FDA are unnecessary so that following the government shutdown when we return back to normal, telemedicine abortions can now become the new normal. 
for the abortion industry. So that's how they're trying to not let this crisis go to waste. Now, why? Why are they so incentivized to move in the direction of telemedicine abortions? Because it's not like they suddenly want this. They've wanted this for a while, but this crisis enables them to make more persuasive arguments to get that which they have always wanted. They want to move in this direction because, as I've said recently on this show, over 90% of abortions are performed in the first trimester through 12 weeks. The abortion pill is only prescribed or taken through 10 weeks. So you can focus a vast majority of your abortions um, to women who will not have to come in. You won't have to pay abortionists. And the pill is very easy to manufacture and sell. Furthermore, brick-and-mortar abortion clinics can be expensive uh, to operate. Obviously, you have to pay the lease. You have to have a whole staff that you have to pay. None of that is necessary if you can simply send the abortion pill via snail mail. (laughs) Um, Oftentimes, finding abortionists can also be very difficult in some states, particularly, obviously, more red states that are more pro-life that have less abortionists, some of these states can't even adequately meet the demands of women who want to kill their children because there's not enough abortionists. That's also not a problem if you can move to telemedicine abortions. And of course, the abortion pill can be cheaply produced and sold at high margins. And lastly, the abortion industry doesn't have to pay third parties to get rid of the dead babies they dismember because they tell women flush and don't look. So the toilet in American sewage system becomes your abortion disposal system. So there's a lot of financial incentives for the abortion industry to move in this direction. Now, we're going to go into exactly what is happening with this push um, for telemedicine abortions, for the pressure on the FDA to remove their restrictions and on mainstream media news outlets carrying water for the abortion industry. But I want to briefly recap what exactly the abortion pill is. Maybe you're just tuning into the show. Maybe you're a younger listener. Maybe your high school is not giving you good information. Here's what the abortion pill is and does. The abortion pill, otherwise known as RU486, is actually a two-regimen pill. So you actually take two different pills. And it is taken, as I mentioned, through 10 weeks gestation. The first medication is entitled Mifepristone. And typically, with the exception of that one FDA-approved trial, right, that enables the abortion provider to ship the abortion pill to the young woman, the woman has to show up at the clinic or at her pharmacy and have it prescribed in person. But typically, she would take mifepristone at the abortion clinic um, and then take misoprostol, the second pill, when she gets home. But mifepristone is the abortion-inducing drug. It's going to block the hormone progesterone, which is vital and absolutely necessary to stabilize the lining of the uterus that creates the environment that the unborn child needs to grow. Without progesterone, the lining of the uterus breaks down, and essentially, mifepristone will cut off all nutrients to the child through the umbilical cord, and that child is then starved to death over about a two-day period. So mifepristone starves babies to death. Then when the mother is home, about 24 to 48 hours later, she'll take misoprostol, which forces her uterus to have contractions, expelling her dead baby into the toilet. So that's the abortion pill. That is RU486. And the New York Times brings us more evidence of this battle to circumvent the FDA or pressure them into lifting their REMS requirements. So according to Patrick Adams, writing at the New York Times on May 12th, in a piece entitled, Amid COVID-19, a call for MDs to mail the abortion pill. He says, last fall, months before America's first outbreak of the coronavirus, Francine uh, 
Coitao and Elisa Wells, co-founders of the abortion rights advocacy group Plan C, were reaching out to doctors with a question they said was urgent. The question was, would you be willing to mail the abortion pills to women in their homes? So they're trying to gauge the political climate, moral climate within the abortion industry to see who they could get on their side to begin mailing the abortion pill. He continues and says, regulated under under what's called a, quote, risk evaluation and mitigation strategy, or REMS, mifepristone can be dispensed only in clinics, medical offices, and hospitals, only by or under the supervision of a doctor certified to prescribe the drug, and only to patients who have signed an FDA-approved patient agreement. Now, as stay-at-home orders further impede access to clinic-based abortions, prominent voices, including those of attorneys general from 21 states, a former FDA official, and the Times editorial board have joined calls for the FDA to act. He continues, says, but what if the consensus understanding of the regulation is wrong? What if it doesn't actually prohibit doctors from mailing mifepristone? It's a question at the heart of the debate around abortion access, and one that has not been considered by a court. And for that reason, Ms. Wells and Ms. Quintao feel that they are on firm legal ground in assembling what they envision as a national network of new providers, those who, like them, embrace a broader interpretation of the rules. <laughs> so th- they're trying to find people who are willing to do jurisprudential gymnastics in order to make some type of legal defense as to why the FDA restrictions that prevent abortionists from sending the abortion pill to young women without meeting with them are actually justified. He continues and said, most U.S. providers uh, have taken the REMS to mean that mifepristone cannot be mailed, Mrs. Wells said from the Plan C organization. We disagree, she says. We think providers have clear latitude to, quote, dispense the drug from their offices and then ship it to patients. And we're hearing from more and more of our colleagues who see it the same way. I strongly believe that the REMS does not limit the ability to send mifepristone by mail, said Dr. Mitchell Creenan, a veteran medical researcher and professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of California, Davis, who is not affiliated with Plan C. It says you have to dispense the drug to the patient in the clinic, Dr. Creenan added, but the act of distribution by mail, by overnight delivery, whatever, is different than dispensing. <laughs> so the New York Times is helping the abortion industry get the word out that, you know, perhaps we don't have to obey the FDA's risk evaluation mitigation strategy requirements and we can begin shipping the abortion pill anyways. He continues and says, in early March, Plan C called on doctors across the country to take the first step for mailing mifepristone. Registering with Danko Laboratories or GenBioPro, the only FDA-approved manufacturers. Already, Ms. Wells said, dozens of doctors have responded, and we know of several who have started shipping the pills or are planning to do soon, she said. So the New York Times is airing the political and abortion propaganda of individuals who stand to profit off of the sale of the abortion pill. <laughs> In order to garner up more support within the abortion industry of people who are willing to join them in presenting a legal challenge to the FDA's risk evaluation mitigation strategy, which was put in place to protect the health of women who are getting the abortion pill. And again, we're going to go through exactly why some of those um, requirements are necessary and actually do protect the health of women seeking an abortion, the health of women that the abortion industry claims to care about, but very clearly does not care about as they're so willing to risk the health of those women 
to increase their sales of the abortion pills online, even if it is done illegally. However, the only group that is currently allowed by the FDA to ship abortion pills is entitled Genuity Health Projects. And again, we, we talked about them about a few episodes back on the show. So the New York Times mentions them here, and then here's where we're going to get into some of the New York Times blatantly lying on behalf of the abortion industry. Genuity secured special permission from the FDA under the Obama administration to mail Mifepristone and its program called Telabortion, right? So telemedicine abortion has been allowed to continue ever since. Over the past year, Telabortion added eight new states and now operates in a total of 13. But in terms of the number of patients served, the program's impact has been modest. It has shipped just 841 packages containing abortion pills over a four-year period. One reason is that the FDA approved the study on the condition that all patients arrange an in-person visit for an ultrasound to gauge their gestational age. So the FDA is saying you can only send these abortion pills via mail directly to women if the woman first comes in for an ultrasound so that the physician can uh, confirm the age of her child, the gestational age of the pregnancy, because that's going to determine if she can take the abortion pill or not. He goes on to say here, a routine ultrasound is not considered medically necessary for a first trimester abortion. Research shows that most women can accurately recall their last menstrual period, or LMP. And new medical protocols are now changing the standard of care. So there you have it. This is the line from the abortion industry that the regulations and requirements put in place by the FDA, such as requiring women to have an ultrasound to date the age of their pregnancy before getting permission or a prescription to the abortion pill, are completely unnecessary. And as, as he says, uh, is uh, most women can accurately recall their last menstrual period. So it's not necessary to do the, the ultrasound anyways. Well, here are why ultrasounds are important, even if you don't care about the life of the unborn child. It's done in order to protect the health of women taking the abortion pill. And, and I said this on a recent episode because it's so important because you're not going to hear this from anyone in the mainstream media because airing these facts would, be it would not be politically expedient to the narrative they're trying to build. Without properly dating the pregnancy, which the most effective way to do that is with an ultrasound, women are put at a huge risk for incomplete abortions because the abortion pill, remember, is only taken through 10 weeks gestation. And many women date their pregnancies wrong. They get their last menstrual period wrong. So they're significantly, their child is significantly more developed and older than they think. So the risk for incomplete abortions, meaning part of the dead baby is left in your uterus, increases with the age of the baby. That is one of the reasons why it's important to properly date the pregnancy with an ultrasound and not just letting the woman guess what her last menstrual period was. And don't take my word for it, okay? I was recently talking to uh, an OBGYN friend of mine. He has a practice out in Tennessee, and we were discussing this exact point, the, the horror of the reality that the abortion industry is so willing to remove the requirements or circumvent the requirements that women get an ultrasound before getting a prescription to the abortion pill because so many women do not know the correct age of their child. And here, here's what he had to say. He said, I did a quick determination of how many of the patients in my practice are not accurate when they come in and tell us what they think their dates of pregnancy are. I counted from my due date list all patients due in my practice between May 1st and June 30th, so a full two-month period. 
he found 51 patients total whose babies are due in this two-month period. I counted all with no exclusions for any reason. I counted all of them, no matter what their medical condition or economic status or insurance coverage, all patients that were due to deliver within those two months. 22 out of his 51 patients in his OBGYN practice, 22 out of 51 were wrong on their dates of their last menstrual period, therefore wrong on the age of their child. And he said some were off by as many as three months. So approaching one half of his clients whose babies were due in a two-month period were wrong about their last menstrual period and some as many as three months. So women do routinely date their last menstrual period wrong. So if a woman thinks that she's nine weeks pregnant, but she's 12 or 13, legally she cannot take the abortion pill. But if she takes it anyways because of the abortion industry's telemedicine wish list, meaning she doesn't have to go in for the appointment, she could be put at significant risk for an incomplete abortion that could significantly endanger her health and maybe even her own life. Because when you leave parts of a dead, dismembered baby floating around in your uterus, you're susceptible to sepsis, various infections, and death if it's not dealt with quickly. Now, all of this seems pretty common sense, doesn't it? Guess what? Even if you don't care about the lives of babies, even if you're pro-choice, you should be for the FDA's risk evaluation mitigation strategies requirements that say you can't get an abortion pill without an in-person evaluation or an ultrasound first. So that's the first reason why ultrasounds are necessary and important and why it would be foolhardy and dangerous to the health of women that the abortion industry claims to care about to pursue telemedicine abortions without those in-person evaluations. The second reason is that without performing an ultrasound before prescribing the abortion pill, you would not be able to know or determine if a woman had an ectopic pregnancy where the baby, right, rather than implanting in the uterus, it implants in the fallopian tube. So as that baby begins to grow after implantation, the fallopian tube expands, left untreated, the fallopian tube bursts, killing mom and baby. Nobody wants that. And the procedure to remove the child is not an abortion because you're not intentionally killing the baby. You're intentionally saving the life of the mother. If you pursue a prescription of the abortion pill and you take it while you have an ectopic pregnancy, you could also lose your life as the woman. But you would have never known that. No one would have ever known that because the telemedicine abortion uh, fantasy kingdom world that the abortion industry wants would eliminate the possibility of diagnosing ectopic pregnancy. So those are the two reasons why the restrictions that the FDA has put in place is so important. And you would think any common sense pro-choicer, which is sort of a, a weird contradiction to terms, would be behind such uh, requirements because it caters to the health of women, even if you don't care about the lives of the unborn child. So next we're going to get to the Forbes uh, Forbes article, Caring Water for the Abortion Industry. But first, we're offering a new feature here at Unaborted. Coming soon, we're going to be taking your questions on the show, anything about culture, faith, politics, abortion, the church that you want answers for or guidance to think through um, or defend your pro-life beliefs. And let me know. To get your questions answered, simply email them to unaborted at sethgruber.com. That is unaborted at sethgruber.com. Calm, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. 
Welcome back to Unaborted. So it's not just the New York Times predictably carrying water for the abortion industry. It's also Forbes in an article entitled Women Must Be Able to Have Abortions at Home During Coronavirus, says NWHN or the National Women's Health Network. This is on May 11th, written by Alice Broster, who, who literally described there as covering women's issues and reproductive health. <laughs> so that tells you all that you need to know about her, her worldview, reproductive health. Yeah, dismemberment of human babies. She says here, the National Women's Health Network worked alongside 80 organizations to write an open letter to the FDA, right, urging it to lift unnecessary medical restrictions so people could access the two pills needed, which we just went through, to induce an abortion at home. Abortion Care Network, <laughs> Human Rights Watch, and Women's Health Specialists were among some of the organizations that signed the letter. Cynthia Pearson, executive director of the National Women's Health Network, said, these restrictions have never made medical sense, but now they risk making a global pandemic worse. Right. New babies who weren't murdered makes it makes a global pandemic worse. OK. In the midst of a strict stay at home orders, the FDA is requiring women and providers to leave their homes and travel long distances just to hand off a pill that could be mailed to their doorstep or available at local pharmacies. No, the FDA is not requiring women to leave their homes. Guess what? You don't have to go kill your baby. Nobody's requiring you to do that. I mean, look at the type of language, right, that um, the abortion industry uses to intentionally obscure the reality of what they do. The letter reads, these requirements have long harmed patients' health by delaying or blocking access to medication abortion with no countervailing medical benefit. We literally just talked about the countervailing medical benefits to the FDA requirements, namely that if they weren't there, you wouldn't be in, uh, you wouldn't be diagnosing ectopic pregnancies and you wouldn't be getting the gestational age of pregnancies to make sure that women aren't taking the abortion pill past 10 weeks. But she says no countervailing medical benefit. Now, in the midst of a public health emergency, these requirements are further endangering patients and straining the health system. Okay. It continues, solid research and nearly 20 years of clinical experience have demonstrated that these requirements are medically unnecessary. The FDA is putting the lives of pregnant people at risk. Now, now notice again how she says pregnant people, pregnant women, okay, mothers, not pregnant people, because only women can get pregnant. We urge you to take steps now to ensure that mifepristone remains a safe and effective form of abortion care during the crisis. So the FDA is not putting the lives of pregnant women at risk. Uh, Cynthia Pearson, National Women's Health Network, you are doing that. The abortion industry is doing that by trying to pressure and coerce the FDA into removing the very restrictions that protect the lives of pregnant women to ensure that their health or lives are not unnecessarily harmed or compromised in the process of taking a pill that kills their unborn child. Now, the pro-life movement mourns both, namely and firstly, we mourn the death of the child, who is an innocent victim sacrificed on the altar of an evil ideology so that you can have sex without responsibility or consequences. But we do also mourn the risk of the, uh, the pill to women or the risk to women's lives um, if these re- if these requirements that the FDA has put in place are not being enforced, we don't want un- women to unnecessarily die from an ectopic pregnancy or from taking a pill to kill their baby when their baby is older than 10 weeks, making them susceptible to incomplete abortions and infection in their uterus. We, we don't want that either. But of course, firstly, we're concerned with the innocent child who is killed 
in the midst of their mother pursuing sexual libertinism. However, the abortion pill itself is unsafe. And again, if you're just tuning into the show, we've talked about this a lot on the show, but it bears repeating because you're not going to hear it anywhere from the mainstream media. They say here that it's we urge the FDA to ensure that mifepristone remains a safe and effective form of abortion care. Okay, the abortion pill is never safe. It's not safe for the baby that it kills. It's like saying we urge the FDA and the Human Rights Watch to make child abuse safe again. Like, the hell are you talking about? It's not safe to abuse children. The abortion pill is not safe because a baby is killed. There's nothing safe about that. But even again, even if you don't care about the life of the child, it's not safe for the woman. According to the FDA, 24 women have died taking RU486. Average bleeding lasts 9 to 16 days, and 8% of women will endure bleeding for more than 30 days. Well after the abortion is finished, likely, you'll still be having heavy bleeding far beyond any normal period. They can also endanger your health. And according to a 2000 Oxford University Press study, they found that the average failure rate of a medication abortion is 8% which means roughly one in 12 women who take the abortion pill will have an incomplete abortion. They'll have a dead child, but it will not have been properly dispelled into the American sewage system, making them susceptible to infection. And if they don't go back in for a surgical abortion to complete that which the abortion pill didn't, their, their, their lives will be at risk as well. A safe and effective form of abortion care, referring to the abortion pill, ridiculous. So according to leftist baby haters, we all have to shut down every business and ban all forms of surgery in order to save human lives. You don't have the right to endanger my life by venturing out in public, except the abortion industry apparently is happy to endanger the health and lives of women whose surgery of abortion they demand is essential as they eagerly take the lives of babies that they kill for a profit. Oh, so excuse us if we don't take you if we don't take you seriously, giving your disgusting lack of moral consistency. The irony here is that the abortion industry lectures us about how deeply they care about the life and health of women that they claim to serve. But when they have the opportunity to transform their industry to a telemedicine abortion model with a massive profit potential, by the way, they don't hesitate to sacrifice the health and lives of women, many of whom will have unsuccessful abortions, making them susceptible to infection and death, and others who will have undiagnosed ectopic pregnancies thanks to the industry's call to eliminate ultrasound evaluations prior to prescribing the abortion pill. Yeah, how ironic. How interesting. It's almost as if they care more for their profit than they do the lives of women that they care to serve. Oh, no, I, I'm sure that can't be it. Well, next, we're going to talk about Nancy Pelosi trying to smuggle funding to Planned Parenthood again in a small business relief package. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the pro-life movement and the abortion wars, which is really just the fight over human equality, then head on over to patreon.com slash unaborted to become a patron of the show. We really need your help to reach more people with this content, and we found that young people, parents, and Christian leaders have really benefited from this information that they're really not hearing from a lot of other places, and it enables them to equip themselves to defend life, which is really, above anything else, the goal of this show. So if you want to help us reach more young people, especially during a time where I can't show up in person and do live presentations, then become a patron of the show. It says Greg Cunningham, a longtime pro-life leader, once said that there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. That's because killing babies is very profitable while saving them is very costly. That's true. <laughs> we give half a billion dollars to Planned Parenthood every year, and then they make hundreds of millions of dollars every year on the killing of babies. 
the pro-life movement struggles to stay afloat by donations in order to save lives. And that's virtually where they put all of their money. So help us do that by becoming a patron of the show to change minds, change hearts, and save lives. And we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to Unaborted. So it's not just the mainstream media, clearly, who continues to serve at the behest of the abortion industry. Our elected leaders continue to illustrate their dutiful service to the abortion behemoth. And this is nowhere more clear than the grandma of the abortion industry. That's my new title for Nancy Pelosi. The grandma of the abortion industry who continues to treat all children like disposable blobs of tissue and pounds of flesh while she lectures the public about how much she cares about saving one life. Nancy Pelosi is attempting once again to smuggle funding into Planned Parenthood in a small business stimulus package, which will bankrupt our country further and put massive tax burdens on our children who will be responsible for the economic immaturity of our elected leaders. Now, remember, she's tried to do this before. In March, she held up an emergency funds to Americans who couldn't even pay rent or buy groceries in order to try and smuggle Planned Parenthood more money. And now she's trying this political stunt again. Mary Margaret Olihan writing for the Daily uh, News Foundation writes a piece on May 13th entitled Republicans Assure Pelosi, um, accuse Pelosi rather of using coronavirus cash to fund Planned Parenthood. She says, lawmakers accused Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Wednesday of removing protections in her $3 trillion coronavirus bill, preventing cash flow to Planned Parenthood. The House Democrats Heroes Act... (laughs) The most recent coronavirus relief package proposal includes language that removes taxpayer safeguards in the Paychecks Protection Program that previously disqualified Planned Parenthood from receiving aid, they said. As I said, these safeguards were previously added by President Donald Trump's administration to block Planned Parenthood from receiving coronavirus aid. Not content with giving a special bailout for Washington lobbyists, Pelosi seems determined to rip up a bipartisan compromise on a vital small business aid program in order to funnel billions to the abortion industry, a senior administration official told the Daily Caller News Foundation on Wednesday. The Paycheck Protection Program is for small businesses, Republican Nebraska Senator Ben Sass told the Daily Caller News Foundation. There's nothing small about Planned Parenthood, the country's largest abortion business. Nancy Pelosi shouldn't try to shovel cash to big abortion corporate lobbyists while Americans suffer. And then Republican Indiana Representative Jim Banks told the Daily Caller News Foundation that, quote, Speaker Pelosi is working overtime for her donors in the abortion industry. Pelosi is demanding that taxpayers who are already suffering financially must fork over cash to abortion providers. Jim Banks continued. (laughs) Jim Banks just ripping Nancy Pelosi, a well-deserved new one. Of course, that's what she's doing. The woman is, is one of the oldest members of Congress who has been serving at the bait and call of Planned Parenthood for her entire political career. It's had 100% approval ratings from the National Abortion Rights Action League for her entire career. Pretends to be a Catholic who prays for the president and loves her grandchildren while she sanctions the slaughter of millions of human beings in the womb. Uh, And now, of course, what she wants to do is she wants to demand that taxpaying Americans who are already hurting significantly fork over more of their money, burdening their children with massive debt that is going to have to be paid back in order that Planned Parenthood can line their pockets and then turn around and give sizable contributions to political candidates like Nancy Pelosi, who call the dismemberment of human beings reproductive health care. 
Pelosi is trying to force taxpayers to fund Planned Parenthood and a whole variety of other BS that we won't even get into in the bill that is unrelated to providing relief to Americans. Pelosi and abortion activists, uh, but I repeat myself, always highlight the importance of providing taxpayer-funded abortions to low-income women, right, who make up a disproportionate amount of the women who obtain abortions. They're saying that, oh, these women need our help, that, you know, they can't obtain an abortion by themselves. They don't have the financial wherewithal, and we need to come to their aid. However, in attempting to shovel billions of taxpayer dollars to Planned Parenthood, the only thing Nancy Pelosi will be doing is placing larger financial burdens on low-income men and women and their children for decades as they pay for her BS leftist wish list, the very people that she claims to be an advocate for, right? That we're supposed to believe what? That the Democratic Party is the party of the little guy? Well, not the little guy in the womb whose dismemberment you want taxpayers to fund, and certainly not the little guy who is um, below the uh, middle class or low income line who you will be burdening with high taxes for the rest of their and their children's life because you wanted to get a bunch of billion dollar leftist wish list items into your stimulus package. The abortion industry and their political puppets want to starve babies and force you to pay for it. That's the current reality of the situation. We need to lift all of the requirements in place that are currently protecting the health of women who want to obtain the abortion pill. So we need to starve babies with the abortion pill, ship it all around the country, and uh, while women are bleeding out, while they're dying, while they're getting infections, while they're having undiagnosed ectopic pregnancies because hashtag reproductive health care. Oh, and also you need to fund it. You need to fund the starvation of, and dismemberment of children in the womb because we're the party of the little guy. Give me a break. Nancy Pelosi is emblematic of the rot in our politics. That rot will take a long time to remove, unfortunately, because it took a long time to grow. Rot grows slowly, and the conditions that helped it grow were, as always, culture. Culture were the conditions that enabled this type of political rot to grow over so many decades. This is Andrew Breitbart once said that politics are downstream from culture. Wherever the culture is, is going to dictate the state of our politics. But that happens gradually. It doesn't happen suddenly. And this recent piece of news we're going to get to is actually very emblematic of where our culture is. But before we get to that, I've teamed up with my new friend, Sarah Vienna, for a pro-life church tour. Sarah is an international speaker and singer who works in Romania and, and here in the States, defending the cause of the needy from unborn to elderly. And our I'm Alive pro-life church tour is named after Sarah's song, I'm Alive. This tour really captures the beauty and truth of the pro-life position. We want to speak to the head and the heart and win the hearts of your church for life while also equipping them to defend life. We believe that if the church were to choose to abolish abortion, it could happen very quickly, but the churches have gone silent like they have in other historical genocides. Based on biblical truths, I'm Alive can help your church create a culture of life that fights to love our unborn neighbors and their mothers and fathers. So starting in the summer of 2020 and going through the end of 2020, um, this tour will fill up fast. So to bring I'm Alive to your church, email us at imalivetour at gmail.com. I'm alive tour at gmail.com for questions and bookings, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. So speaking of culture, this really depressing and, and somewhat cringing uh, spectacle happened the other day on the show The Price is Right. So apparently The Price is Right, along with a drag queen that they had 
on the show is pledging to donate $100,000 to Planned Parenthood. Writing for The Blaze on May 12th, uh, Breck Dumas writes a piece called The Price is Right donates nearly 100 k to Planned Parenthood. CBS is The Price is Right hosted a primetime special raising almost hundred grand for Planned Parenthood this week. Uh, that would have been on May 11th. During a nighttime episode featuring guest contestant and famous drag queen RuPaul. The network promoted the special, dubbed The Price is Right at Night, ahead of time, noting that Drew Carey, the host of the number one rated daytime series and the longest running game show in television history, would be joined on stage by RuPaul, who would be playing to raise money for the charity Planned Parenthood. This is unbelievable. This is so indicative of, I think, where our culture is. Now, just as a maybe a small note of encouragement, when he announced that he'd be donating his profits to Planned Parenthood, there did seem to be a little bit of uncomfortable clapping in the audience, maybe a little bit of uh, unsurety of how to uh, proceed. Now, obviously, these shows typically hold up signs, right, that say laugh or clap, but it seemed that at least some members in the audience uh, were not so sure they wanted to clap for that. So maybe that is a silver lining. However, this is unprecedented uh, culturally. Um, even even in the last 10 years, I mean, the movement in the culture as to how they view the abortion industry and then the bravery of the abortion industry and how they interact with the public has changed dramatically in the last decade from safe, legal and rare to shout your abortion to abortion is beautiful to abortion is empowering. We have certainly moved leaps and bounds from where we used to be. And a lot of that has to do with the culture and the moral compass of where the culture finds themselves. We nearly now, we now nearly have a great depression economy with 36 million unemployed Americans. Economists are estimating that if this continues much longer, it might take a full decade to recover. And RuPaul, a drag queen, and The Price is Right, they don't donate their winnings to, I don't know, families who have to go to the food bank to feed their children right now. They don't donate their winnings to the families of parents who who were lost and died in nursing homes thanks to the failure of many state governments to send positive confirm coronavirus elderly patients back to their nursing homes. They don't give their winnings to, I don't know, a poverty relief organization. They don't even give their donations and winnings to illegal immigrants that the left claims to care enough about to try to take my money and give it to them. No, no, they don't give it to any of those people who maybe are the most in need right now, given these government shutdowns and the inability of individuals to turn a profit or go to work. No, they choose an organization that already rakes in over a billion dollars a year through abortions and taxpayer dollars. We continue to give over half a million dollars to Planned Parenthood every year. And they make hundreds of millions of dollars every year on performing abortions. They choose an organization that is not hurting financially and that kills babies in the womb, covers for pimps and sex traffickers, accepts racially motivated donations, and works to help minors get abortions without parental consent. That's the organization, the charity that they choose to send their winnings to. Very indicative, unfortunately, of where the culture is moving and the bravery of cultural institutions like Hollywood to air such an unashamed message to a large base of viewers who will not appreciate that. The left's devotion to abortion is so absolute and all-consuming that if promulgating abortionists on network television game shows cost them hundreds of thousands of pro-life viewers, so be it. We don't care because it's all about ideological uniformity. It's all about looking exactly like the party in control. And we're seeing this more and more from the left. That devotion is seen in sacrificing the health and lives of pregnant women in order to increase abortion profits through the abortion pill. It's seen in politicians serving the abortion industry who 
coincidentally, donate heavily to their campaigns as they sacrifice the livelihoods of Americans who are hurting in order to smuggle funding to Planned Parenthood. And it's seen in cultural institutions like Hollywood, who now sacrifice the very thing that makes them relevant and rich, their viewership. <laughs> if nobody watches your show, you don't have ratings and you're not turning a profit. Now these institutions are sacrificing potentially large swaths of their viewership in order to endorse the progressive creed that dismembering babies is healthcare. And they won't stop. They will not stop. The left is relentless when it comes to ideology and to enforcing that creed and ideology on everyone else. So they won't stop until they lose or until they succeed in getting us to admit that two plus two equals five, that men can be women and that babies aren't persons. For the sake of babies, for the sake of freedom, for the sake of justice, and for the sake of the American bargain, we have to ensure that they lose. We have to be more committed to the principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness than the left is to their botched revisionist version of American freedom, or else we will lose our country, and along with that, the continued butchering of unborn children. They will continue until they lose, and their ideas and ideology is thrown to where it belongs, the ash heap of history. And we need to ensure that that is exactly where these ideas end up because ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And nowhere is that more true than the issue of abortion. Well, that's all we have time for for today. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to learn more and uh, give this show a rating and review or uh, check out my content, head over to iTunes, YouTube. Let us know what you think. It really helps us reach more people. You can also engage with me online at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, or head on to my website at sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R, for training videos, for my newsletter, my speaking schedule when that takes off. And uh, we'll be right back here next week with a whole lot more. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Unaborted.